If you would please uh, open in the Bible to um, Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 43 on page 885. And it would be so helpful if you'd have the Bible open in front of you because I'd really, really like you to see that what we're going to be looking at today is not um, something I've cooked up, uh, but it's actually God's word to us. So if you would open to Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 43 on page 885. If you would please stand. Luke writes, As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. The word of the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this chance to be together this morning. We thank you so much, Father, for the love you've placed between us by your Spirit. Uh, We pray, Father, that your Spirit would be drawing us to yourself, that your Spirit would uh, put away from us all those distractions that keep us from hearing your voice. Give us grace, Father, that we might not only hear your word, but believe it, Father, obey it, and rejoice in it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. It was Easter Sunday, April 3rd, 1994, at 10 o'clock a.m. I was an assistant pastor at St. John's Shaughnessy Anglican Church. At the time, it was the largest Anglican church in Canada. It was uh, filled with uh, committed Christians who loved the Lord, loved his word. It was an evangelical church and a Reformed church shaped by Reformed theology. Jim Packer was on the, the staff there at the church. This particular Sunday, though, we had a guest preacher. It was the new bishop of Vancouver, Canada. His name was Michael Ingham. He'd only been installed maybe three months uh, earlier. It was his first Easter as bishop. For some reason, Bishop Ingham decided that it would be a good idea on Easter Sunday morning to come into a large evangelical church and deny the physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus. Uh, He did it in a very subtle, sophisticated way. He said that uh, the bodily, physical resurrection of Jesus was was merely a kind of resuscitation of a corpse. And he dismissed that as as really very primitive, uh, very unsophisticated. That rather than a a physical, bodily resurrection, uh, the bishop wanted to say that what he believed in was a spiritual resurrection. Resurrection, a resurrection that you couldn't have seen if you were there because it wasn't of this world. In fact, he wasn't 100% sure that it happened at all the way it's described in Luke's gospel or in any of the gospels. 
that that was actually, he thought, myth that had been put together many years later and that had shaped uh, the faith of the apostles. And, and so Christianity, is, as it's traditionally understood, was based on this series of myths, including the myth of the resurrection. My jaw dropped. Um, my jaw dropped. Easter morning, the bishop of the church, who's supposed to be the defender of the gospel, in a large group of evangelical Christians, I thought, this is wrong on so many levels. How stupid for the new bishop to come marching into a church and deny something as important and as basic as the resurrection of Jesus. Stupid. How rude to come into a group of people and and to deny something so central to their faith. It was rude at at such a fundamental level. But most importantly, It was spiritually poisonous to deny the resurrection of Jesus, the physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus. It was shocking to me. But you know, maybe as shocking as that was the realization over the next week or so that in a big group of evangelical Christians who had been taught the Bible by men like J.I. Packer, that they didn't quite understand how awful and poisonous the bishop's sermon had been. Uh, They didn't quite understand what, what was the problem, a spiritual resurrection. Of course Jesus was spiritually resurrected. Of course the resurrection is a spiritual thing, went the argument. Not everybody, there were a number who got it immediately, of course. But it was shocking to me how many Christians who said they loved Jesus, were so confused about the resurrection. They didn't understand why denying the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus made such a difference. Why it was so wrong and how it was so poisonous. Actually, uh, had that sermon in my mind. I've shared that story before. Uh, I will tell you it was one of the most formative experiences I ever had. Uh, I've shared it before, and I've had it in my mind this week in particular, this third Sunday of Easter, as we once again think about the meaning of the resurrection. And I want to just tell you that it would not surprise me here at Metrocrest to find that there might be some confusion among us about the resurrection about what Luke is telling us about. You know, I think a lot of us carry around in our heads this idea that there is, uh, uh, when we die, a life after death, and we go to heaven, and uh, that that is Christianity, that we're preparing to go to heaven. Well, I want to suggest to you that there's something way off with that. It's not the heaven part, it's the going there part. Because what we're going to find out from Luke here in this passage, as well as from many other passages in the rest of the New Testament, that it's not so much a matter of us going to heaven, an image that we don't actually read much about. It's actually the other way around. Heaven comes to us. 
The kingdom of heaven has come to us. And in Christ Jesus, it is made manifest. And that's what we learn about in the resurrection of Jesus. It is not simply a promise that when we die, we will go somewhere nice and be in heaven. That might be comforting, and there's a certain truth about certain aspects of that in terms of what happens to us when we die. But it's a gross misunderstanding to think that the message of Jesus is that we're all called and invited to go to heaven. And I hope by the end of the sermon you'll see why it's so contrary to what Luke's telling us here. Because as I've titled the sermon today, there is an extreme emphasis on the physicality of the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, of all the gospel writers, Luke goes to more pain to make it plain what the gospel is, specifically in terms of the resurrection, than, uh, than many of the other references to the resurrection. John, John includes something very similar, but it's Luke who adds so much detail. He's moved by the Spirit to record these things for us so that we will have not confusion, but a proper understanding of the resurrection of Jesus and its meaning for us. If you look on page um, 9 in the church program, you'll find a little... Um, outline and it might be helpful to have this open in front of you along with the bible don't close the bible but you might want the outline because i'm going to walk through a a few points that i hope will make plain what luke is doing now if you look at verses 36 and 37 on page 885 you'll see that confusion about the resurrection even among believers is not a new thing Look at uh, verse 36. As they were walking and talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. Now this is well into uh, the first Easter Sunday. This is actually nighttime of of the long Easter story that Luke records. They've already encountered the resurrected Christ. Uh, That story has been told to them. Many individuals among the disciples had seen the resurrected Christ uh, on the road to Emmaus, the women. And and yet, here Jesus is with them. The resurrected Christ is with them. And it says they are frightened and startled. And they thought they saw a spiritual thing. They were confused. Chapter 24, verse 5 describes the emotional condition of these disciples, uh, specifically the women. They were frightened. Chapter 24, verse 17 says they were sad. Chapter 24, verse 37 says they were startled and frightened. Chapter 24, verse 38 says they are troubled in the passage this morning. All of it flows, if you will, from chapter 24, verse 4, at the very beginning of the Easter story, where we read that the women at the tomb were, it says, perplexed. A synonym for perplexed is confused. They were confounded. They saw the empty tomb, and yet rather than being joyful, rather than being filled with hope, they were just confused. Because, brothers and sisters, it turns out the default mental state when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus, is confusion. 
That was true in the first century among the first witnesses to the resurrection. And I want to tell you, it's true today. Even among believers, there will be so much confusion. Not so much about the fact among Christians, but about the meaning, the significance. Why it is so important to us. Not simply as sort of personal comfort, but as a radical statement of what Christ has done. What God has done in and through his son. If we're not clear on the resurrection and its meaning, we're bound to misunderstand it. And it can be poisonous to misunderstand the resurrection. So it's nothing new. Confused about the resurrection is actually a default position. So that's why this section is so very important for us to get straight. The physicality of the resurrection. Uh, I mentioned uh, Bishop of Vancouver many, many years ago who preached that awful sermon at the church where I was working. Well, that bishop quoted another bishop. And I've mentioned him a couple times already in this, this Easter season. His name was John Shelby Spong. S-P-O-N-G, John Shelby Spong. He has died. But John Shelby Spong seemed to have a personal mission to tear down what the Bible tells us about Jesus, to tear down what the Bible tells us about the gospel. And John Shelby Spong wrote a book called Resurrection, Myth or Reality, in which he goes to great pains to try and convince us that it was a myth. Specifically, a Jewish kind of myth. He went to great pains. He, and I'll mention this more next Sunday because the way he attacked it was significant. It, it, it matters. But he goes to great pains to try and convince us that Jesus was not physically raised from the dead. And as a matter of fact, that line about the resuscitation of a corpse, that's a quote from John Spong's book. Now, many years later, it's been interesting to me how mainstream so much of this has become. How mainstreamed it's become to think of Jesus' resurrection, not as something that physically happened, that you could have seen if you were standing there, but instead as a, as a kind of spiritual myth, a, 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 a vision kind of thing where people are attempting to describe a, a spiritual reality that, that is not connected to a, a real historic experience. Well, I want you to know this section, this paragraph in particular, is written exactly to address that confusion. That confusion about whether in Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, what we're seeing is a ghost or some kind of vision, a spiritual manifestation of something, or whether what we're seeing in Jesus is a physical body, not resuscitated, but resurrected. And what resurrection actually means. It is more than a resuscitated corpse. I think that's one of the, one of the sad failures of liberal theology is to fail to understand what resurrection means. It is not merely resuscitating a dead body. There are many examples of resuscitated bodies. That was a miracle. But the resurrection of Jesus is more than a resuscitated corpse. How do I know that? Well, Luke 24 tells us. 
this resurrected body changed. It, 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 could, it could appear miraculously. We don't read that about Jesus in the rest of the gospel. Jesus was a human being exactly like us. He could be in one place at one time. Uh, he had a physical limitation to himself. Well, the resurrected Jesus, the resurrected Jesus can make himself known. He, he can walk a long distance with his disciples who knew him well, and yet they didn't recognize him. That was resurrection. Uh, he could be talking to people he knew very well. He could, be, he could be teaching them, and they didn't know that it was Jesus. That's resurrection. He could actually, uh, as we see other places, he could make himself known to individuals in a way that was supernatural. It, the way it's described is it, it caused their hearts to burn within them. That's resurrection. That's the resurrected Christ. And there's a physicality to this resurrection. And Luke wants us to know it. You see, the solution, the antidote to the confusion about the resurrection is Jesus' teaching about the resurrection. And in fact, the antidote will have no more power than our willingness to believe Jesus. There are people in the church, people in positions of authority, who choose not to believe Jesus. And let me tell you, that is a bad place to be. No, the antidote to our confusion, the antidote to our default mental condition, is what Jesus teaches us. And what the apostles teach us based on what Jesus taught them. We'll say a lot more about that next Sunday. Now, when Jesus begins to teach them about the resurrection, in this section, he gives them two very interesting images, metaphors. Verses 39 and 40. He says, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Uh, Hayden, my fellow Greek scholar, will confirm with you that I myself is a particular grammatical formation. That myself is there on purpose. It's an, it's an added word. It emphasizes the I part. I myself. So the, the Greek translators aren't making that up. It's in the Greek. I myself, really me, Jesus says to his disciples. Touch me, he says, and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. As I mentioned, John has a version of this story. If you look over at the story of Thomas the doubter and the end of John's gospel, you'll see a similar interaction between the disciples and the Lord Jesus. He, he actually exposes his body to them. He says, look at my hands, look at my feet, touch me, see. That's how physical Jesus' resurrection body was. When it was revealed to them, when the resurrection was made known to them, they could actually look at him and see his physical life, the flesh and bones. That's a very old expression. We have it in English too, flesh and bones. It's, it's in the Greek. If you look in the Greek text, you'll, you'll see uh, that is uh, a way of describing the the human experience, the, the, uh, 
Stark, the Sarka Kai Ostia, flesh and bones. Ostia is where we get osteo. So Jesus said, look at me, touch me. He makes his physical reality, his resurrected body available to them. In John's gospel, Jesus actually says, look at my wound, put your hand in my wound. So physical was Jesus' resurrection body. He could say that to his disciples. And John's version is just recounted here in Luke's own description of a similar, possibly even the same interaction. Jesus was physically raised. He was bodily raised. He still had on his body the marks of his crucifixion. So there's a continuity, very important continuity, between Jesus' physical body on the cross and Jesus' physical resurrected body. It was a real connection. And it could be sensed, it could be seen, it could be touched. That's important for us to know. Two millennia later. The Jesus who was crucified has been raised bodily, physically. And that makes a difference for us. It makes a difference for us who put our trust in his resurrection. It tells us something about our resurrection. Paul actually had to write a whole chapter to try and describe the reality of the resurrection. Paul describes how Jesus' resurrection defines and, and gives expression and helps us to understand our resurrection. All of us who are in Christ share his crucifixion and his resurrection. So, that's one way Jesus communicates the physicality of his resurrection by pointing them towards his hands, his feet, his flesh, and his bones. I'm so glad he did. I'm so glad he did. I had a funeral a few years ago when my family and I buried my mother. And I dearly, dearly loved my mother. She raised my brother and me by herself, a single mom. And I'll never forget uh, the questions and the, the feelings of grief that I had at the time my mother died. And and how I found myself again and again and again clinging to Jesus' promises, trusting Jesus that my mother, who knew and loved Jesus, I would see again at the resurrection. That she, like Jesus, and like all of Jesus' people, would know resurrection life. Not, not ghosts, not ethereal spiritual presences, but an experience of life that is, has a continuity with this life, real life, that comes down to us. So Jesus tells the disciples about that, and they tell us about it, flesh and bones. But, but Luke actually goes further. Look at verses 41 to 43. It says, while they still disbelieve. This time it says they disbelieve for joy. They're marveling. But they, at this point they're thinking, well, this, is, this is too amazing. They disbelieved for joy. Jesus 
says to them, have you anything here to eat? What, what an amazing question. Have you anything here to eat? Verse 42. They gave him a piece of broiled fish. Verse 43. And he took it and ate before them. Do you see the lengths to which Luke is going to record these facts that help us to understand the intense physicality of Jesus' resurrection? Not only could his body be seen, not only could they touch him in his resurrection body, but he actually engages with them at the level of of eating. I mean, is is there a more physical activity than to eat together? He's already broken bread with them. But here he appears to them and he eats a piece of broiled fish with them. And Luke records it near the end of the gospel so that you and I will know that Jesus, no matter what any bishop says, no matter what any theologian says, Jesus appeared in the flesh, in a physical body, resurrected, and that has significance for us. And it's written and recorded here for that reason. Because you see, the solution to our fear and our anxiety and our sadness and our being troubled and our being confused is our hearing and seeing what Jesus wants to tell us, what he wants us to know. And what he wants us to know is that his resurrected body is connected to this creation. And that's going to matter in the last chapter of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 22, where John is privileged To give a picture, not of us going up to heaven, but of heaven coming to us. A a resurrection life that comes to us, that transforms everything. And it starts here in Luke 24, or, or it becomes visible to us in a particularly important way here in Luke 24. There are hints of it, as a matter of fact, all the way back to Genesis 1. All the way back to Genesis 1, there are hints of this resurrection life, which we are heirs of in Christ. And that's where the story of Jesus' resurrection takes us. To understand that intense physicality, to the point of actually eating fish. I don't think that means we'll eat fish in heaven necessarily, but what it means is, what it means is that there is this ongoing deep, significant continuity that Jesus wanted us to understand. He's not a ghost. He's not immaterial. And the resurrection has significance beyond the spiritual and the immaterial. It has significance for everything. And as we go through the remainder of the New Testament, we'll see how this gospel understanding shapes everything else. In between and the great day when all things are made known. And right now too, all the way between Jesus' resurrection on that first Sunday to the culmination, the climax of all things in Revelation 22. And it's, it's important for us to know how physical Jesus' resurrection is. Now, I want to draw your attention to one thing I I sort of went right over, but I want to come back in closing to underscore something Jesus does. If you back all the way up to verse 36 again, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. 
They were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. Jesus appeared to his disciples in their fear, their confusion. And notice what he says to them. Peace to you. Peace to you. The reason Jesus' resurrection is described in such powerful detail is because Jesus wants to bring us peace. He wants us to understand at the graveside of someone we love, we will see them again in Christ. We will share the same resurrection life. Jesus wants us to know that God has a plan for creation. It's not simply going to be wadded up and thrown away. It's going to be recreated. And there will be continuity between the creation of Genesis 1 and the glorious recreation of all things in Revelation 22. And it all hinges on the resurrection of God's Son, Jesus. He, Paul tells us, is the firstborn of this new creation. He is the first one. And if we're going to understand creation, if we're going to understand God's purposes, then we have to understand that it involves the physical. It involves the reality as we experience it. It'll be radically changed, but there'll be a continuity. And we know that not only at the graveside, but but we know it when we worship. We know it when we make decisions that that God has a plan for the world. It's, It's one day going to be made perfectly, gloriously manifest to us. But in the meantime, the resurrected Christ is at work through his resurrected church, his People who share in his resurrection, not in its fullness, not in its fullness. We get sick, we get old, we have all kinds of problems. But we share his resurrection life. And one day, on the great and glorious day, we'll experience the same kind of resurrection body, the same kind of resurrection life that Jesus has now will be our life as well with him. So we don't want to be confused about those things. We certainly don't want to be sitting ducks for false teachers and confusing teaching that would poison us and lead us astray. We don't want that to happen to ourselves, to our little ones. I want my kids and my grandkids to know the reality of the resurrection. I want them to have an understanding so that when false teaching comes their way, and I want us as a church to be prepared when false teaching comes our way as a church to know the truth of Jesus' resurrection, the physicality of it, and the great difference it makes for everything.